Preaching is like birthing a baby every week? How can you be a verse-by-verse children's pastor? Standing up when the Bible is read aloud in your congregation. Can commentaries become really good friends? And the anticipation of Saturday nights when Sunday morning is coming. And were Mike and Craig separated at birth? Today we have a conversation with Mike Shera, senior pastor at Grace Church of Orange. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Teaching Pastor Podcast. Uh, this is Craig Hill, and I am with Mike Shiera, who is the senior pastor at, uh, what is what is the name of this church, Mike? Grace Church of Orange. Grace Church of Orange. And where are we right we are, now? We are in the city of Orange, sitting in my office <laughs> in, and looking out at the beautiful sunshine in Southern California in November. No doubt. No doubt. Thanksgiving is on its way. And uh, <laughs> So, Mike, how long have you been the senior pastor here at Grace? Eleven and a half years. Eleven and a half years. And where were you before that? I spent almost 15 years at Voyager's Bible Church in Irvine. That's right. Voyager's Bible Church. And you know what Mike loves? Mike loves (laughs) pens. (laughs) Mike loves pens. And when I finished at Voyager's, I had, I think I went through and just found every Voyager's pen I had. It was hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Hundreds of pens. I have hundreds of Grace Church of Orange pens. Grace Church of Orange pens. If you ever come here, (laughs) grab a handful of pens. Because Michael buy more for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, I leave them at restaurants all the time. <laughs> that's that's your. I that's did it this the way morning. You, nice. I did it this morning. Very nice, okay. very nice. So, Mike, where you uh, you've been a pastor, a senior pastor? You've been in pastoral ministry for over twenty years now. Oh, since nineteen eighty five. Okay, nice. Yes. And yes. where where would you say where where did you get your training? Like, where did you go to intentionally get some training? Yes. Even unintentionally. If, right. You know. Right. Right. So uh, I went to Talbot Seminary, got right. an MDiv in Bible exposition, mm-hmm. and so I'm a verse by verse preacher. When I was a children's pastor, I was a verse by verse preacher, <laughs> and I'm a verse by verse preacher now too. Children's <laughs> ministry, verse by verse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is bad. So you Greek are, word studies. So do you ever like? Th- this is one of the big questions with with the people, the guys that I interview, the, and the women I interview is um, do you prefer expository or, or topical? And obviously, you prefer expository. Are there any times when you go topical or preach vision or things like that? Absolutely, and it's expository when I do that too. <laughs> so, for example, even if I'm preaching one verse, I'm going to get into the context. I'm not going to just airlift myself into it, right? you got to find out what's the immediate context, what's the context of the book, context and how as it fits in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. And so... If you hear me preaching a, a, a topical message, it's still going to be expository in terms of I'll have one anchor passage, yeah. even if I'm using a lot of passages. Yeah. So you're always you're always finding a passage that you're going to, even if you are going to hit a topic, you're going to come out of a passage. Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's because my conviction that the main point of the sermon... You have convictions, Mike? I have some <laughs> convictions. <laughs> That's so shocking. Can we tell them? Can we tell them that we have the same birthday? Oh yeah, that's right. That you and I have the same birthday, October twentieth. Yeah, we were actually separated at birth. <laughs> yes, we have brothers from a different mother, and so we're not the same age, but we're close. Close. We're close. Yeah. Um, but my conviction is that the main point of the sermon uh, must be the main point of the passage, hmm. and so that I can't get on my hobby horse as easily that way. Yeah. I can still get on my hobby horse. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be um, bound by the text and what the text um, meant to the original author, and then bridge that to what it means to the contemporary audience. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing, Mike, that has stuck with me about your teaching and your preaching is um, 
uh, back at Voyagers, I think you were preaching from Nehemiah, and at the end, that passage where Ezra gets up and starts reading the law, and, um, and everybody spontaneously stands. And then at the end, everybody says, Amen and Amen, amen. which yes. of course, in Hebrew, you double up on something, and that's like, Amen. That's the ultimate Amen. And so, and I remember at Voyagers, you began a practice yes. where when Scripture was read out loud in the service, that you would have everyone stand. Absolutely. And then everybody would say amen and amen. Have you continued that? Um, I've continued to, to absolutely. But here's a funny thing. When I came to Voyagers, I started doing that. And then at one point, our Gary Stubblefield said, hey, can you say amen and amen? Because it says it in the passage. Okay. And so Suzanne, his wife, uh, in, in encouraged us to do that. So we added on the amen and amen. But the whole idea of standing for the word, and mm-hmm. when I came to Grace Orange from Sunday number one, even from candidating Sundays, yeah. I had them stand. Yeah. And, and the way I preface it is this. We're going to get into the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to say this is the only perfect part of the worship, worship service. <laughs> when the word is being read, the word is perfect. And so I said, we're going to call ourselves to attention before mm. a holy God and acknowledge that this isn't just anybody's word. It's not just anyone's book. This is the very word of God, and we need to, uh, to attend to it and yeah. listen. And so I'm praying, you know, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we do it here at Grace. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, there, one other guy that, I, that I've known that does it um, and has done it up at, like, campus, Dewey Bertolini. And oh, he, yeah. He did it. I know he did it before you, but, but I do that now every time I preach at a church. This bump. Every time I will, and I'll say in honor of God and His Word, Amen. Let's stand. Yes. And yes. um, and I know we're not, we didn't, we're not the first people to stumble no, onto no. this, <laughs> but I do. Yes. It has, it has been something that has stood out to me, kind of your legacy, and it fits mm-hmm. because you are someone who is just very attentive to God's Word, and have been, and like I, I joked about convictions, right? Yes. Yes. But yeah, you're very, you're very convicted and attentive, mm-hmm. and so. In that sense, just want to you know mirror that back to you. That's awesome. Well, thank you. And and the, the, you know it's interesting. You gotta you always have to know the backstory, right? For me, growing up uh, in a church that was very liberal, uh, trashed the Word of God, didn't believe in the authority of Scripture or the deity of Christ. For me to be able to actually uh, become a believer in mm. 1982 when I was almost 20 years old and say, "Wow, the Bible is really true." Mm. Wow, that mm. was a revolutionary thought to me. So for me, it's like. This is my life. Hmm. The Word of God, you know, uh, it's what it says in Psalm 119, and, uh, the Word is your very life. Hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. it's. Uh, so you've paid attention. I have to. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> if I don't, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so, okay. Now, so, yeah. so of course you come fear and trembling to the pulpit, right? Absolutely. Okay, so... so <laughs> it's like having a baby every week. But you're... <laughs> having a baby every week. Every week. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. I mean, it's birthing a baby. Birthing. I have five kids and I've cut four umbilical cords, right? Uh, but it's like, I, I seriously jokingly say, it's like how I don't even know, yeah. right? I don't know what I'm right. talking about. Right. But it's like birthing a baby every week. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get I, I get it because there is, there's so much that goes into it. And um, so let's just talk a little bit about that. Like, there's got to be things that pump you up because you're a guy who gets pumped up. Like, don't caffeinate Mike Shera. I don't drink caffeine. I don't need caffeine. Yeah, I, well, look, if anybody ever did slip you a little caffeine, it would be over <laughs> pretty trouble. quickly. But what, what kind yeah. of things, like, just don't get you pumped up? Put you in the fetal position, if you will, about, about either your prep or about uh, sermonizing or... What are the sorts of things that, that kind of um, give you energy and don't give you energy? Okay. 
Let's talk about not giving energy. Okay. First of all, I don't want to be the guy that comes up in the pulpit and completely uh, trashes the word or does something mm-hmm. that completely uh, messes up what God was wanting to do, right? And so Saturday nights for me mm-hmm. are horrendous. Huh. Okay. I Is can't it just sleep. second guessing? I don't sleep well. In fact, Gary Stubblefield once said to me uh, that Saturday nights weren't that great for him. And I thought, I'm so glad you told me that because that's the same way for me. Uh, And it didn't happen until I became an every Sunday preaching Mm -hmm. pastor. And I actually text probably 25 to 30 fellow pastors across the country every Saturday afternoon and evening with a short text just telling them I'm praying for them, Mm -hmm. reminding them of the task of preaching and how awesome it is, how awesome God is. And it's been huge. Like these guys will write each other back about what we're preaching the next morning. Mm-hmm. And just a quick, you know, thanks for praying for me. Uh, because I know for a preacher, Saturday nights are are horrendous many times in the sense that you you do. I think I do a lot of second guessing. I don't ever feel like I've got this wired. Mm-hmm. Remember when you, you're in school and you were going to take a test and you said, I aced it. Yeah. And you end up failing. <laughs> and then you go, I don't think I did very well on that test. And you got an A. You know, it's like sometimes we think we've preached this amazing sermon and it might fall on deaf ears because there was too much of us in the sermon. So I do come into it, but I think while that energizes me, it also puts me in the fetal position. I like that picture you gave me because, yeah, it's like there is no way this is going to fly. Whether I've done all my homiletical work, I've done all my study, this will not fly unless God gives it wings, unless God empowers uh, the preacher and he uses his word. And he says he will. Right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Those are, you know, it's for me, I always get butterflies right before I go up. I mean, oh, yeah. no matter how oh, yeah. no matter how prepared, there's yes. always that, that, that kind of nervousness yeah. right before. Oh, yeah. So what about like, um, for me, one of the things that is like, I love, I love the prep. I love the, I love being in the word. I yes. think for me, like bringing stories about my own life or stories through my own life or illustrations like that. So I'm like, well, do we really need to do that? So, like, how do you deal with illustrations or right. bring it through your life? Like, how does that work? I would say that people that hear my preaching all the time and, and even people that would be critical of my preaching would say, I don't bring enough stories in sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I can tell as, as, as many stories as the next guy, okay? Um, I find that I don't want to detract from the preaching. Like, I, I seriously live to preach, okay? Like when I was an associate pastor for 21 years before becoming a senior pastor, if I didn't have preaching outlets, whether it was a men's Bible study or a retirement home or working with kids, I would languish. Like I, if I didn't, I had to find the preaching opportunities. So I lived to preach. And so the idea of, of getting up there uh, to preach is, is the end result for me. Okay. Like I love the study. I love, I love to, uh, to get into the word studies and to get into the text, um, and I'm but I think I get up to the end of the week and Thursday, Friday, and I'm I'm thinking, oh no, how am I going to illustrate all these points? And I think every point needs to have a really good illustration, and it can be illustrated from scripture, scripture interpreting scripture, it could be a story from my life, it could be a story from history. Mm-hmm. I found some great illustrations from church history, um, but those personal ones and those interactions, just like my sermon I'm going to preach this Sunday. Been working on. I work two weeks ahead. Is what okay. I've been trying to do, and so I've been working on this one a bit as I've been working on the one before. And there's some things that I found for illustrations that I thought, okay, this is going to work really well. And they're either personal anecdotes or yeah. whatever. And I think there's absolutely got to be a place in our preaching for the implications to come out, for the application uh, to be made. 
And if we if we only gave the word, we're in a sense could be giving a lecture. Okay. Now you can give a sermon and only apply it, uh, only illustrate it through Bible passages. But I think that the idea that Paul says uh, in First Thessalonians two seven and eight. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, yeah, but our very but our lives. Very lives. Yeah. That's like my life ministry verse. Uh, and it's like, no, you can't just give the gospel. You've got to give a life because yeah. preaching is God working through the personality of the preacher yeah. and using his word. Yeah, and I think that's, that's yeah. the scariest thing is like laying your life bare or even a portion of your life bare before mm-hmm. the congregation or even finding, thinking, can I find something from my life? Is my life really that interesting? Mm-hmm. And then do you live your life like you're looking for sermon illustrations? I know. Oh, I do. I, that's how I live. I, I, I think I, everything I think that, that I got to put that in a sermon. But I think people have said probably the thing they appreciate the most is that I'm honest in the mm-hmm. pulpit. Mm-hmm. That I, I will give the word as it is given and I'll give my best shot at what I truly believe it, it means. Yeah. What God meant when he said that. But also that I'm honest about my own life. And that's where you get a lot of traction with people like, yeah. you know, I, I go through that same thing. Or I've, I've struggled with that same sin or I've, I've had that same fear. Yeah. When I, when I uh, shared with our congregation uh, years back that I had had a fear of flying in the middle years. And uh, praise God, I don't now. We just came back from Seattle the other day and I fly all, all over the place now. But I went through a period where that was a spiritual battle. It affected my preaching. Once I put that out into the light and actually shared that with congregation members, people were like, oh, "Me too." Hmm. And uh, you learn, you learn yeah. from each other, right? Yeah. So what? So then, those are some things that are more difficult in the task of, of mm-hmm. coming to a message. Um, but what are what are the kind of things that give you energy? Like what pumps you up about? Pump. About, yeah. Yeah. What pumps me about? Okay. One is just open up the Bible, literally, and reading the Bible, and and I love the Word of God and the idea that. I think a lost art in Bible study and in prepping for sermons is just reading the text and actually knowing what it says and making observations off the text. Mm-hmm. That simple step of just making simple observations of what is it saying instead of coming to it and saying, I already know what it means or I already know what it says. It just it pumps me up to actually literally read the word and then and see what words need to be studied more and then do like a Greek or a Hebrew word mm-hmm. study and go, Wow. Yeah. Like it blows me away. Yeah. It just blows me away. So the things I journal, the things I write that might not even get preached, it's just between me and the Lord. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so yeah. let's geek out on this a little bit. So yeah. okay, so when does that happen? Like when are you just sitting in a text before you're gonna preach this message? Like when does that start for you? How far out yes. does that start? And how long do you usually spend in that kind of uh, pocket of the process? Good question. Okay. So I've only recently, with this Roman series, started prepping uh, two weeks simultaneously. Okay. And it's light on the second week. Okay, I'm heavy on the first week, light on the second okay. week. So I can feather it in. But my sweet spot is Sunday night. Huh. Our home Bible study's over, everybody's gone. Late Sunday night, usually, I just start reading the new text, the next text, and I just fellowship with God, communion with God, mm-hmm. uh, start writing some things down. But it's got to come through my life first. There have been many weeks where I have missed that, and I get to Saturday, I think, I haven't asked that question, mm. how has this transformed me? Mm. And, and, when, and that should have happened earlier. So, but, I, but God, in His grace, reminds me of those things and brings that back. 
But I get excited about the word studies. I get excited about a sermon outline. Just getting the, uh, I get excited about top titles. Angela, my wife, is always saying, yeah, you're too worried about the title, no one cares, you know? And what I do now is a lot of times I'll pick the title out of the passage. Hmm. So this Sunday I'm preaching Romans 3, 9 yeah. through 20, and the sermon title is No, Not One. Because, hmm. you know, everyone's under the power of sin and things hmm. like that. No one, no, one, no one does good. No one seeks after God outside of Christ. Um, but I get excited about the sermon titles. I get excited about the outline. Uh, but what I get most excited about is the actual preaching moments. Huh. I love, love, love to preach it. I preach three times here on Sunday mornings, and I'm so glad I get to preach three times. If I only got to preach twice, I'd feel shortchanged nowadays. Huh. When I first came, we were doing two. Now we're doing three, and it's like I couldn't imagine only doing two or only doing one. Yeah. So while you're standing yeah. in the pulpit, like what... Like, is it just while you're doing it, you're seeing people or are thoughts coming to mind? Like, what is it that, yeah. what is it that, that kind of uh, resonates during that? Everything. One, my dependence on God. I'm praying in my mind and in my spirit as I'm preaching. Um, but then you've got eyes, right? And you're seeing people you know mm. and you love. Mm. There's always new people. There's always people you don't know as well. But for me, it's feeding off of, feeding off of the people that are out there, but also presenting the word to them in a mm. way that, isn't uh, you can't be afraid to preach the word. You gotta. I, earlier on, I was always too timid, and people would mm. say. I remember one of my first sermons when I was at Downey First Baptist, and I was an intern. This was in the '80s, and they would put us. This was a 2,000 member church, and they would put us in an adult Sunday school class to do an intern sermon. <laughs> And this was like a small church, be like a hundred like people. The JV. <laughs> yes, yes. Thanks. We'll see if you'll let her next yes, year, Mike. Wear your suit. You wear your suit. There's like a hundred people in the room. It's a small church, and there's like people in their sixties and seventies, and they're just loving you, and you're stumbling through this sermon. And I had someone come up to me once and say, "Mike, you don't need to apologize for the Word of God." Because at that point in my life, I was too timid. Now you got to stand and deliver the Word of God. And, and realize that you're dealing with real people going through real issues, but also who need to hear God's word. So I get excited about that. I do excited about the eye contact. I love preaching to the pretty much the same group of people every week that I'm pastoring and that uh, the elders and I are co-shepherding and the staff. And, yeah. You know, so. so you, okay, so you intern at Downey. Yeah. Associated Voyagers. Senior at Grace. Yeah, intern at Downey, children's pastor at Downey. Got it. And then associate at Voyagers. Voyagers and now senior here. Yes. So when when do you feel like you found your voice? Yeah, how do I know you're going to ask me I don't. That? Well, I mean, I guess every, look, every, yes. I would imagine that every pastor, every preacher goes through that. Yes. Like I'm trying, either trying to be somebody else. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, my I'm, goodness. Or I'm, so, or I'm too timid. Or, yes. but then eventually, like, the good ones, yes, don't aren't preaching other people's sermons. No. They're they are they have found their own voice, yeah. and it becomes compelling. Oh yeah. So, um, and I obviously here, you have built you've built a you're training uh, young people. You are you've got a voice. So in the sense, like how how and when did you find that? Right. I think I'm still finding it. Mm-hmm. Right. We're 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 being progressively sanctified. But I would say it took a couple years here at Grace. Mm-hmm. I know when I was at Voyagers uh, and I was teaching the men's Bible study Friday mornings, yeah. I was starting to feel that voice and thinking that it was somewhere nearby, but knowing that it wasn't there yet. 
And uh, even coming here, you know, I wanted to be John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll and whoever else, you know, that you grew up listening to as a young believer. Um, but it wasn't until a couple years in that I, I think I, it was imperceptible. I think there was a day where it was like, wow, I'm, this is like more original than it has been before, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Byron Yawn wrote a book called uh, Well Driven Nails. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the preacher here uh, finding his voice. And uh, really good book, short book, but uh, really heartfelt and and about the idea of just be yourself. I say this to guys all the time: be yourself and preach the word. Hmm. Be yourself and preach the word. That's what you got to do. Go up there and do that. So good. Uh, So that's awesome, awesome advice. All right, back to geeking out a little bit. So when you're getting into so your Sunday night and you are looking through the passage, like at what point are you bringing in original languages? uh, at what point are you bringing in commentaries? Like, when does that step kind of begin? Yes. After you spend time kind of soaking in, marinating in the Word, making your own observations, when do you begin to compare your observations with what others have done as well? Okay, great question. Okay, so I am not, I'm going to say I'm probably not easily followable in terms of my sermon prep. What I mean by that is I do not go from step to step like I okay. check step one off. Now I'm done. I'm not mechanical about it. Mm. I'm organic about it. And I think that's just the way I have I, I have to live. And so, yes, 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 yes. Okay? Uh, first, I try to read and read and read and then make observations and then start looking at some words and then start looking at some commentaries. But there's weeks where I start to the, with the commentary because I'm so deep into... If you're, you're preaching expositionally, you're going through a book, you got your compass, you know where you're going with this book, you know the the, the, the sequence, the flow of it. And so in the midst of it, you already know where you're going next. And, and you've already looked at the next passage. You already know the flow of Paul's thought in Romans and the point he's making in chapter uh, 3 where he's like, I'm getting you ready to hear the most beautiful words you've ever heard, right, in in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 21. And you're like, right, right now I'm in right Romans, there. you're like, right on the edge. You're like, but now a righteousness yes. of God has yes, been revealed. Yes. You're like, that's next week. Oh, yes. But that's so, But you're right on yeah. the verge of that. Yeah. So okay. for me, going through that process, I, I, it really starts with reading, then observing, and then um, writing notes, taking notes down, um, looking at word studies, consulting commentaries. You know, you've got the exegetical commentaries. Right. You've got the devotional ones. And so... Right. And some of them, they become your really good friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Romans, I'm, I'm really attached to Schreiner. Okay. Uh, and I'm really attached to, um, to Christopher Ashe's book on teaching Romans. And so those are two that I've just been living with all the time. With Acts, it was um, a little book by day one that was this short synopsis of the book of Acts that I literally had two copies, one at home and one here oh. at the office. And I've done that often where I'll have two copies of a certain commentary because... Oh. And I write in my commentaries all over the place. Mm-hmm. Someday someone's going to go, what was this guy thinking? You know, He was defacing his books. And I'm like, no, they're meant to be used. Yeah. So my books that I've preached and used, uh, I, there's some key ones that are just notes all over. Yeah. Whether I agree or disagree, how they stirred me up, how I departed from where they were going, or how I was right on with them. Yeah. And, so, and then that process really continues. Craig, it continues not just through first hour and the preaching of the first sermon. I'm making changes between first and second hour. Mm. I'm making changes between second and third. A new story will come up. I will delete things. I, you know, so it's 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 a process that's always fluid. I think that's the word. Yeah. It's fluid. 
Yeah. And, yeah. I, I love what you're saying about your commentaries and writing in them. I think that uh, one day, you know, when Mike Shera is, is long gone, like someone will inherit these books and they'll be like... Might burn them. <laughs> oh, <come laughs> but someone yeah, yeah, will yeah. inherit it and, be, and, and see like... Somebody really cared about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, these and these these comments. And, and I also like what you said about, um, you know, I, I will underline things that I like, or I'll put exclamation points next to them. But I'll put question marks next to things that yes. I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. Either I don't get it, or I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And I keep telling students, like, look, make your observations on your own, mm-hmm. and then compare them because you'll know. Hey, I'm. He's seeing this. They're seeing the same thing that I'm seeing, and I I don't see what they're like. Commentators are not infallible, right? Like, right. You've got to make your own observations. You've got to come to your own convictions about a passage, right? And you've been trained. You've been yes. trained as a scholar and as a teacher and as a pastor, and you've got to obviously these people have put in a lot of work, yes. but at the same time, you're the one who has to deal with the passage. Absolutely. A, a comment. A good commentary can become a good friend. Yeah. But will never be God. No okay. doubt. So the good friend can consult with you, can correct you, can be encouraged by you. If I'm writing in there and saying, no, no, Thomas Schreiner, you were wrong here. Uh, there was a place in chapter two where he went a different direction that I wanted to go, that I was thinking I should go. Um, but if there's a comfort too in, in attaching yourself to a commentary that you are like-minded with. Mm-hmm. And it's like the answers in the back of a math book. You're testing. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my Greek professors said, if you come up with a new translation, you're wrong. <laughs> if you come up with something new that no one's ever come up with, you're probably wrong. Or you're <laughs> able to write a paper and present it at a scholarly conference. Right. There you go. There yeah. you go. It's either like it's either like you, you know you're wrong, or you've just seen Bigfoot. You know. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Nothing new under the sun. Right. Right. Yes. Oh, that's that's fantastic. All right. So, so you've you've marinated in the text. Are you? How are your languages doing? I mean, when you were trained back in Tau, like. Obviously, in the 80s. <laughs> so, right. so not everybody is translating a passage in Hebrew and Greek or, you know, whatever. But... Only you. How, no, no, no. Come yes. on. And how are you accessing original language stuff? Yes. Is okay. it through commentaries or do you have software? Like, how are you doing that? I use everything I can get my hands on. I use Logos. Okay. Logos, however you want to say it. But I, I use the Greek and the Hebrew there. I use uh, real books. Okay. Old, uh, mm-hmm. Real old books. And I use... Um, you know, I use the Zodiatus Bible, you know, the keyword study Bible that has okay. Greek and Hebrew in it. Uh, if I'm on a, I was on a missions trip and I was plant, uh, preparing sermons on a missions trip using my Hebrew and Greek there. I use Olive Tree app on my phone that I've had for years, which gives you uh, the strong, you know, keyed uh, word on each one of those words. Um, my Hebrew is so hazy. Uh, my Greek is not very good, but better than my Hebrew. Um, but when I, I remember when I was in seminary, they always said, dig your own gold, right? Mm-hmm. And then I got into fourth semester Greek, and Mike Wilkins said, use whatever things God has blessed the body of Christ with. Mm-hmm. Use the resources. And that was a change. That was a departure mm-hmm. from what I had been taught earlier in my seminary uh, time. And I think I, I, I follow that rule. Just use whatever you have. I'll ask my fellow uh, staff members here at, at Grace Orange, I'll say, what do you guys think about this word? I'm seeing this in this word. What do you think? And I've got four seminarians on our staff. Mm-hmm. 
they are in the languages. Mm-hmm. They help me all the time, <laughs> and I'm not too proud to ask. Now, is that an intentional team time that you that you carve out for uh, for sermon prep, or is that just hey, I'm knocking on someone else's office door and just saying hey, let's talk for a second? Good question. It's both. Every Tuesday morning, in fact, what I came from before I met with you this morning was I call it preaching prep. Every Tuesday morning, Bagel Me Villa Park, seven to eight thirty a.m. I invite all of our staff and elders. I uh, usually have three to five people show up with me. We go through the text, and I was already studying alone, and I thought, why not bring awesome. more into it? Um, at our weekly staff meeting Wednesday mornings, we our time in the Word is in the text I'm preaching, okay. and we'll all kind of make observations. Um, and then, yeah, knock it on the door. In fact, some of the most fruitful times, I'll just grab Andrew or Michael or Winston and say, hey, um, is this how you pronounce this word? Literally. <laughs> I'll be like, you guys are in school right now. I don't remember. Here's how I've always said it. And you always say it strong, right? Say it with confidence. And everyone thinks you're right. No. I can, I can tell people, I'm like, I'm like, anybody in here ever take Greek or Hebrew? No hands? Okay, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I've had, I've had staff members and elders say to me later, like, you know, uh, I say that word that way. I'm like, okay, I'll switch it for a second hour. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, no, I get help from, I get, I, I get by with a little help from my friends. Nice. Actually, I get by with a lot of help from my friends. I don't do hardly anything without the wise counsel of other people, mm. younger and older than me. I love, I love, I love it, Mike. I love the collaboration. I love the humility. I mean, it's awesome to think that, look, I've got smart people. I love smart people, and I've got them around me. Let's do this. Let's do this for the body. That's, oh, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a, great, uh, a great way. So um, Romans, let's just talk Romans for a second. Like, have you gone through Romans before? You're a reformed dude, yes. So I would imagine yes. you've preached through Romans before, but um, how did you? Have you done it before? No, this is my first time through Romans. Wow, first time through Romans. And since I've been here, I have preached through uh, Hebrews, First Peter, Second John, Third John, Acts, Matthew, Habakkuk, Malachi, and Philemon in and Genesis one through eleven in eleven years. And wow. uh, no, this is my first time through Romans. Okay. Yes. And what, so, so do you, were you like, it's time? I was, or? Okay. I came to it in fear and trembling. <laughs> yeah. So in June, It's like, not an easy book. No, no. no. Well, but of course, the first, uh, the first book I went through here was Hebrews. Oh, yeah. So what was yeah. I thinking? I wasn't thinking, you know. Uh, I wish I could preach it over again. Um, but I, and I loved preaching through Hebrews, but I feel like I, I, I didn't do it justice, you know. But the sure. word speaks yeah. on its right. own. Right. Um, but with Romans, I was going to do Romans right after Acts, and it was in June. And I, I seriously, I was afraid of it. I'm like, I love Romans so much, but it's too monumental. Yeah. I'm climbing, climbing Mount Everest here. And so I put it off, and I preached the five solas hmm. in the summertime. Okay. Preached the five solas okay. of the Reformation, getting up, uh, up to the 500th anniversary there. And then I'm like, we got to start. And yeah. I had more prep time. Yeah. But yeah, Romans, it's, it's, it's a big mountain. But I, I love this book. Oh, that's cool. And it's so straightforward. Yeah, it's very straightforward. Yeah, okay. And as we're as we're kind of moving towards the end here, yes. um, uh, so has there been anything that has surprised you about Romans? Just as you've been doing your own study, obviously it, there's such a familiarity with the Reformation, with Reform sure. perspective, and the Romans Road, and yeah. and and all of that. But has there been anything as you have walked through this that has kind of stood out or surprised you in your prep as you've been working through uh, God's Word in Romans? Yes, and this is going to sound funny because I would have always said that Romans is like a great, you know, legal brief, right? It's just he makes the case. I have been blown away, uh, encouraged, startled um, by 
the absolute clarity of Paul's argument. Hmm. And, and it just gets clearer and clearer to me, the idea that here you got the gospel that you need to believe, that you need to you know, bank on it, rest in it, and, and wrestle with it, and live it. And, and just the idea of, um, I have three big hinge points that I'm looking at in terms of application. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are unashamed of the gospel, 116. Mm-hmm. We are uncondemned, Romans 8, 1, and we are unafraid. Uh, we are um, unconformed mm-hmm. to the world, mm-hmm. uh, Romans 12. So I, I, I'm looking through this and I'm just, I'm like, this is just pure genius of God, mm-hmm. that, that this is so clear. And, and I realize that Romans contains some of the hardest theological ideas yeah. in the Bible that people wrestle with. And a lot of people love Romans 8. I love Romans 9. Mm. I love <laughs> Romans 9. <laughs> to the Jew first, then to the Greek, to the Gentile, but Romans not Yeah. And election, your, your, your yes. Reformation uh, yeah. background there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I think the absolute clarity of it mm. to me is, is um, it's like this clear, like you're flying in a plane and you mm. see the the sky out there and just crystal clear. That's what it feels like when I'm going through Romans. Like I'm not feeling like, oh my goodness, there's a landmine. And there's plenty of places that people would say, well, there's landmines in Romans. I just think, I went through one of the toughest passages ever in the first eight verses of chapter three. Mm. But I I said to our congregation, you know, this is actually really clear. Mm. This is really clear if you see this as Paul um, anticipating and answering all these objections Mm. by the Jews. And he's making the point that the Gentiles are under sin and the Jews are under sin. Now he's going to make the point that everyone's under sin. Get us ready for this beautiful diamond of the gospel in starting in verse 21. It's just, so I just think the the, the clarity in my mind, I keep thinking of like a a, a black velvet with a a big diamond Mm. sitting against it. Mm. And I feel like that, that, I'm just seeing this more and more and more as I get deeper into it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's, it's interesting. And there's a, you're, you're almost at a passage where there's a lot of contemporary debate about, like, what is the righteousness of God? Do you look more at Greco-Roman backgrounds and this idea that righteousness is a virtue? Yeah. Or do you look at more Jewish backgrounds that righteousness is God's saving activity? And, amen. Yes, amen and amen, right? <laughs> yes. But then you also have these, these objective, or these, these genitives, the faith, is it faith in Christ or the faithfulness of Christ? Right. Okay, let me just tell you. I try to keep it simple. I'm a simple man, okay? That's why I like certain end times views where it's just A plus B equals C. Um, and Jesus comes back. Uh, it's, it's I, I don't let myself, I'm not smart enough. Okay, I'll put it this way. I'm not smart enough to let myself get caught up with all those debates. I stand with a historic uh, Christian faith and the Orthodox Christian faith in this. And I literally uh, go with the literal reading. And I, and I do look at all those uh, those. Those ideas, but I, I, I get down to it and I say, the person that's coming on a Sunday morning doesn't want to wrestle with that. Right. They need to know how to live this today. Yeah. And so they need fresh bread today. And so I know that some of those, I can get really caught up with those, which one is it and all that. Yeah. And I have people say to me, don't bring that into the pulpit. Mm. You don't, they don't, they won't need to hear that. Yeah. Podcast that stuff. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that so, is, that yeah. is a great word to, to, because there are gonna, there's always gonna be things to wrestle through in Scripture, yeah. and um, there are like our our pastor Dave Gunlock. He'll he'll sometimes say, "Well, here's option A, option B, option C." Yes, I like doing that. Here's where I land. Yes, but look, and and I think that there's something really valuable about saying, "Look, I I have this tradition that has nurtured me, 
Yes. And I'm not going to depart from it. Right. I'm going to bring it because mm-hmm. it has nurtured me, and I'm going to imagine that it's going to nurture you. Mm-hmm. Now, if I come to a point of conviction about a passage yeah. that I need to preach a different way, then I can do that. Absolutely. But at the same time, I've got these rails that keep me that keep me on track. Oh yeah. When I got saved and I started reading the Bible, literally, I have all the same theology for the most part that I had when I was a brand new believer, and I didn't know what it was called. Hmm. I didn't know what my end times view was called. I didn't know what my soteriology was called. I didn't know any of that. All I knew was, this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I come to it very simplistically and say, here's what it says. I'm going to work really hard to say, okay, find out what it meant, what mm-hmm. it means, mm-hmm. what it meant when God said it, what it means still today, and then and then preach that and its implications on our lives today. Well, that would be, yeah. that's that's my next one with you is where have you, but we'll, we'll have to, we'll wrap this up, but I, I, w- I would love to have this conversation about how have you moved over yes. the years? There, there are times, theologically. yes, yes, there, yes And yes. that would be, yes. and that's a great That would be fun. That, be that fun will be fun, but our time is short and our time is up. Mike, I just want to say thanks so much for having this and being part of the Teaching Pastor podcast and uh it's just great to see you thriving here at Grace and your pile of Romans commentaries. It makes my heart happy. <laughs> Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure. All right. Great to see you again. Thanks, Mike. Hey, thanks for finding us and finding the podcast. If you want to listen to sermons from Mike, you can go to graceorange.org, um, and you can listen to any of Mike's sermons or any of the pastoral staff there at Grace Church of Orange. There were a number of great resources that Mike mentioned, such as uh, Talbot School of Theology, Byron Yon's work about finding your own voice called Well-Driven Nails, uh, the Olive Tree app or Logos Bible software, and all of these links um, you can find in the show notes or you can visit our Patreon page. And if you are enjoying the content of The Teaching Pastor, consider becoming a patron and contributing to the work on our Patreon page. You can go there and see what we're doing and um, and what kind of the needs of the podcast are. Anyhow, we're having a great time doing this. Hope you're enjoying uh, hearing how other pastors are um, doing the work of getting into the text and preparing for their messages. And um, yeah, we're finding a great spot and um, loving doing it. So enjoy. We'll see you next time on The Teaching Pastor.